0: Hello and welcome to another edition of Editing Aloud. My name is Simei Zaki. Okay, joining me today at the desk are Warren, Quanita, Alistair, as well as Genevieve. And getting straight into the discussion today, we're going to start off by looking at Zuma's tax affairs. And Genevieve, this is something you've been following very closely. Give us an update on what's happening on that front.
1: So this week we've had a new application lodged in the High Court in Pretoria asking for access to Zuma's tax records. This application has been done by the Financial Mail and Amabongani. Um, As with Warren as the applicant for the Financial Mail, Um, what what they are trying to get access to is Zuma's tax records during his time as president, um, on the basis that they say that as president of the country, it's in the public interest that the public know whether he was tax compliant, whether he had received extra benefits, payments, in, in terms of what we heard of him receiving money from businessman Roy Moodley. This case, however, is very different to the public protector SARS matter, also involving Zuma's tax records we saw about two weeks ago. Um, The public protector went to SARS asking for tax information, and SARS said no based on the Tax Administration Act. Um, She wants access, Pusasiwe Mkobane wants access to Zuma, to investigations into Zuma's tax affairs, not actually his tax records. I think in this case they want his tax records. Show us, is he tax compliant? Did he pay income tax? Um, and this is all based on the on the on PIA, PIA. and um, having PIA changed to allow for media houses, journalists to have access to certain tax records. Not every every Tom, Dick, and Harry's tax records, yeah. but within the public yeah. interest.
0: So, Warren, state state your case.
2: Yeah. So, I, th- I think uh, under PIA, which uh, was embedded in our constitution, it gives us the the rights, not just the media very important to point out not just the media any citizen can access records of a public body like a a government department like a SARS a tax agency or even a private body like we've done with uh, Steinhoff that is in the public interest the problem with the law at the moment is that the PAYA law does not allow us give us a public interest override to access something that might be in the public interest if it relates to tax records now, given the very serious allegations against the former president, we've, we went to SARS and said, we want access to his tax records, and they denied us on the basis that, number one, uh, Piya doesn't allow for that, and number two, neither does the Tax Administration Act. In fact, the Tax Administration Act is so draconian that even if Yusameh gave me the tax records of the former president, I would not be allowed to ri- write about it and disseminate that. So we think that's a major restraint on media freedom, and that's why we've launched the application, which uh, is using effectively President Zuma as the uh, as the kind of benchmark to test uh, to really try and change the law around us.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, just very quickly, Genevieve, the the, the case with the public protector, um, um, are there any other developments there?
2: Um,
1: not as yet. The court so the court will now hear the matter because um, after. A, a meeting with SARS and the Public Protector was decided, okay, fine, the Public Protector won't go ahead with the subpoena for now, to subpoena Kiesveta. Um So they are going to court only in March next year, will that matter be heard? So I guess that puts a bit of a spoke in the wheel. Although, as I said last week, there are other things that can be done in this investigation. I'm still not quite sure why the Public Protector needs SARS to give her that information. Um, if she's just looking at whether the former president um, paid um, income tax or received this money, actually. It's more about whether he receives the money from Roy Moodley. She can do what she did to President Sol Ramaphosa and subpoena his bank records. Mm.
3: But, I mean, that's interesting, the the public protector, you know, in that case being heard next year because there's so many other cases that are mm. going <laughs> to have to be heard before then. Today there's an interesting case um, in the North Gauteng High Court where the public protector is defending her decision to um to fire this chief operating officer. And that sto- story has taken a very interesting twist because now the chief operating officer Bassani Beloy is arguing to court that in the case of the Busasa investigation, the rogue unit investigation implicating Praveen Gordon, um, the McBride investigation and the Prasa investigation. Those investigations were improperly tampered with by the public protector uh, in a way that kind of, um, you know, played. she played politics. And and, and she cited um, interesting, uh, uh, you know, uh, WhatsApp messages where she says, you know, I have to play chess. And the argument that Vasani Belou is making to the court today is that the public protector is play is playing politics and is playing chess with the country. And we know that before this tax affair even gets to court, all of these cases are being taken on review already. Um, we just just uh, seen her response in the, Bus- in the Busasa matter, for example, where, where, where she says she's done nothing wrong and she didn't have to, you know, she, was not, she, she didn't act, um, she didn't, there was no overreach in terms of her investigation, etc., etc. So that case is also going to be playing out alongside the Praveen gordon case and which is which also goes to court to tomorrow. tomorrow yeah so 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 really the hands are really full for the public <laughs> protector at the moment and a and lot, I lot just of money being spent yeah
0: all right. Um, sticking with um, presidents and the stuff that we, we can write about while you wait for a decision <laughs> on your stuff. So here is uh, a copy, my personal copy of uh, um, um new book. It's entitled Balance of Power, Ramaphosa, and the Future of South Africa. This was launched um, on Monday, I, I believe. So Quanita, tell us, uh, What's a, what 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 juicy stuff is is in here? <laughs>
3: <laughs> so it's it's not a biography of Sero Ramaphosa Ramaposa anyway. It's, it's it's more a detailed account of a time in history, um, of of what led to Sri Ramaphosa becoming the sixth democratically elected president. So Peter Bruce nicely says there on the front that uh, it's sort of a primer for for the Ramaphosa presidency. It's quite difficult to write a book, uh, you know, at the onset of someone's presidency and not at the end of it. Um, But I thought that it was absolutely important to talk about the type of maneuvering, the type of um, uh, you know, horse trading, um, the, the the politics at play in the removal of Zuma and the and the installation of of Cyril Ramaphosa as president. So it kind of goes all the way back to the Mangaung when he returned from. Um, political oblivion uh, and became deputy president, and how that was actually engineered by his so-called enemies today. I have Ace Makashule detailing how it was at his house that they came up with this idea that Sir Ramaphosa must come back to be deputy president. Um, You know, I I, I explore topics like the the assertion that Ramaphosa was a spy back in apartheid, and I I detail that. I, I have had the opportunity to ask him about it and also speak to people around him um talking about you know the conceptualization of this Tumamina and how Tumamina with and the reference to Huma Sikela's song was actually not written um, for Ramaphosa, and I saw
0: I saw that part. What, what exactly is going on there? So it wasn't his <laughs> it wasn't his speech because that's what got everybody, you know, saying, oh, finally some you know quotable things um, coming out of Parliament."
3: Yeah. yeah. So so the, the interesting bit was that uh, you know uh, last year February there was this kind of political upheaval where it was unsure who would be delivering the State of the Nation. So the speechwriters at the Union Buildings prepped a speech for Ramaphosa, for for Jacob Zuma, and I quote the, the speechwriter. Who came up with the idea of quoting Hugh Masseykiller? And he says he when he when he invoked the words of Tumamina and and that lyrics, he he had Jacob Zuma in mind. And what happens is Jacob Zuma, um, you know, resigns as president in that famous late night speech, and Ramaphosa had to deliver the State of the Nation the next day. And when his team comes together to to you know put together the address, His, you know, the first address as head of state, his team was adamant, we don't want this Tumamina reference. Oh. And an uh, official had to sort of fight its way back in and, and they decided to put it at the end. And they were shocked when the entire uh, National Assembly stands up and it was a standing ovation, um, realizing that, oh, actually, so, so basically the whole Tumamina presidency was an accident. <laughs> <laughs> although
0: Although. Cyril did own that yeah, absolutely, the, the whole yeah,
3: and I, and I detail how how um, you know Tumamina became what. Almost what Shining Wam was for for Jacob Zuma, but also it's interesting because if you look at um, you know Mbeki's I am an African speech, it was only years later when we found out how he actually conceptualized it. How you know when people like Frank Chikane left him in the wee hours of the morning, he had not written it by the morning he had written this great speech. So it was for me it was fascinating to find out the the, the genesis of of this, this slogan that became the embodiment of the at least the formative stage of Ramaphosa's presidency. But I mean. I explore things you know the 40, 15 days in february the, the removal of jacob suma and give some um, behind the scenes accounts of what really it took to remove the president and then a big part of the book is also focused on on how broken the state was and 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 I think what 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 is important to me is that I tried to, to, to give a reader the tools to say, you decide mm. um, whether what Ramaphosa does now uh, or what he doesn't do now is a result of him or a result of a broken system. So it's almost to say we, there was so much chaos happening in the time that Ram, Zuma left office and Ramaphosa was appointed that that now here are the tools to, to understand that error to now you can make an informed decision when he... Makes appointments like the Eskom CEO and makes statements that he is committed to non-racialism. To see, actually, this is something that he is consistent. That when he was appointing the team around him, he made the same argument. So it's it, it's that kind of, of 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 background information and level of detail that says, oh, okay, it makes sense that the president would be uh, okay with a a white ceo for escom and and emphasizing the point of non-racialism because he made the same argument when when his team in the cr17 campaign was largely white and 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 that's what he 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 argued at that time or when he argued about appointing dona Nicol as his as his advisor initially he wanted her as his chief of staff so that that's the type of of background and information i think um, w- was important for me to in- include in this book was to not say this is a bombshell, you know, this kind mm-hmm. of expose, but more of let's let's actually put our heads down and kind of <coughs> rationally unpack what actually happened and what does this mean.
0: Mm. Uh, uh, Warren, just um, I don't know if you've, you've, you've followed this, but uh, the, the appointment of Andre Dereta um, to the post of um, ESCOM CEO, your thoughts on that? I think they've, they've knocked him a lot on the performance of, um, of, of NAMPAC. Do you
2: think that's warranted? Uh, certainly, it's, uh, it certainly should be considered. Uh, of course, you have to understand that Nampac is also a customer of ESCOM, a big customer of Eskom, uh, and therefore, uh, when you understand the escalation in electricity prices, uh, anything to do with the smelting of metals and minerals, large energy demanders have become. Uh, to a degree economically unfeasible because of of the prices that has put through the system over the last decade. So there needs to be a little sympathy to that, but I thought it was quite interesting as well that uh, how many uh, given the uh, sensitivities around his colour how many black CEOs chose not to take up that job Mm -hmm. and justifiably so, right? Mm -hmm. I mean so many reputations have been damaged um, at state-owned entities so I think uh, you know, push has come to shove for this country. We need to sort out Eskimo, and we need to sort it out quickly.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: He may not be the best candidate that 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 could have occupied the office, but let's get behind him and try and sort this this big mess out because it desperately warrants it.
0: All right, um, we're going to take a quick break now. But uh, Juanita, just to put your colleagues on the on the spot, have you guys bought this book yet? <laughs> I know. Sure <laughs> Definitely will. Okay, I'm definitely going to go. And buy all right. Ah. Orders, <laughs> Thank well done, you. Guys, please get this. Um, it's available at all respectable um, um, bookshops. See you after the break. Welcome back. Um, so, Alistair, GrowthPoint is going to the UK for the first time, I think, uh, and shareholders gave it overwhelming support to to, to back that deal.
4: Yeah. So, GrowthPoint's is the biggest property company in the country, probably the continent. And they're now spending just under 3 billion Rand to take a stake in a company called Capital and Regional, which is a shopping center owner. In the UK, they their own sort of convenience centres, and it's just interesting because you know everyone will tell you that Brexit is wrecking Britain. So why would you go and invest you know South African money in Britain? But they seem to think it's going to hold up the economy. People are still shopping, and um, they think that's going to be a good deal. It's just interesting that all they're doing is only buying 50% and three billion of a company that has more than 100 billion in assets. It's like why don't you do a bigger deal? You know, make a real statement if you if you believe that you know the UK is kind of bottomed out and that there's you know there's money to be made. Um, but I think it's also just another example of how companies are reluctant to invest in their own country. So not not that growth point hasn't, but every day you're just getting results that are weak, um, and especially property companies blaming you know a weak consumer, uh, no spending, no investment, and yet then they're going to invest offshore themselves. So. Yeah, I know that's a sign that our economic recovery is is not happening in twenty twenty, maybe not in twenty twenty one either.
0: Oh wow!
3: wow. <laughs> <laughs> we, I thought we were the prophets of doom.
4: <laughs> well, you've got a contender there. <laughs> right there.
0: Let's start, let's move on to um, financial services and and Warren. Um, late last week, I think we had the passing of uh, uh, of Donald um, Gordon. Just uh, very quickly speak to the legacy that he's left behind.
2: Yeah, just a very storied career in financial services. Obviously started. Uh, uh, Liberty Holdings, uh, it was a sli- slightly different name in about 1957, and um, grew that into a large company. Grew Liberty International into a large company overseas. Was also a major property investor in the United Kingdom. But I think what he'll he'll really be remembered for, besides you know this razor sharp intellect and this commanding presence that he had, uh, after speaking to executives that dealt with him and being regarded as a, an outstanding corporate financier, was the uh, philanthropic legacy that he's left uh, and very visceral i mean uh, in his business dealings Santon city was he, he pioneered that you know that was quite a progressive uh, concept of a shopping center and office complex uh, and still one of the premier property destinations in the country but then really i think the benefits uh, the gordon institute of business yeah. science which is the executive business arm of pretoria university uh, but especially uh, something like the uh, Wits um, Donald Gordon Medical Center, where we've been able to retain and develop outstanding talent in the medical fields, uh, for instance, in cancer research and treatment. Um, and uh, I think that is going to be one of the largest uh, legacies that that he'll be remembered for. Um, that, that started with a shift into philanthropy as far back as 1971, when he founded the Donnie Gordon Donald Gordon Foundation. And that was long before you had buzzwords around corporate social investment mm-hmm. and, and, and this kind of thing. So I think some very powerful institutions he's left uh, in his wake, besides being obviously one of the countries, grew himself up by the bootstraps to become one of the country's richest men through his business dealings. But uh, um, I think we need more entrepreneurs uh, like him to leave these type of legacies.
0: Mm. And, and philanthropy, I mean, do you guys get the sense that um, we, we in South Africa are, are lagging behind when it comes to philanthropy?
4: I think, well, uh, a lot of organizations actually do lots of philanthropic things. Um, I mean, I did some research last year on it, and they said basically the Jewish community was the biggest in philanthropy in the country by like a country mile, and that's quite a small community. So I think it does happen. Um, people don't always advertise it. Um, you know, they like to blow their own horn, but yeah, maybe maybe mm-hmm. someone needs to sort of manage it better and kind of tell you know people in powerful positions yeah. what impact they can have um, if if it's done properly, not just throwing money at yeah. a charity, but you Which know, what I mean, the actually constructive. Responsibility. Yeah.
1: I think people are like oh, but we've done something, we've given money to this charity. Oh, but we built that school there in the Eastern Cape, so we've done enough. So um, I, I think yeah, it maybe needs to go a little beyond just throwing yeah. money at something, yeah. as Alistair said.
0: All right, SAA. Dare I ask what's uh, what's the latest on on, on on that front? I think um, it's last, still flying. it still flying. <laughs> <laughs> they resumed flights. Uh, was it Sunday? Last last Sunday?
3: I was. I needed to book a ticket. I was so apprehensive. I'm like SAA. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so um, Parliament this week, I, I think they were debating um, um, the, the the case um, and the strikes and the impact it's, it's had on on the economy. What are you guys hearing?
1: Well. SAA was in Parliament last week to answer questions, Um, I think it was Scopa was not happy with the answers given, and so the SAA management is coming back this evening to give answers to the the questions they couldn't answer last week, although what they have to tell Parliament now that they couldn't tell them last week, I think things actually went from bad to worse after last week, so we saw Solidarity this, was it this week? Um, Larger application to have um, SAA placed under business rescue. Um, we've got the issues with the salaries not being paid in full. I just yeah. I don't know what they're going to be able to tell Parliament, and, and where do we go from here? Do does government save SAA? or?
2: Yeah, it's it's just amazing, like it's just amazing. You you speak to anyone who works in the private sector, and there's no one, uh, maybe a few exceptions, where companies are giving salary increases of six percent. Look, I'd love to hear from anyone who who's, who's works at a big corporate that's getting a 6% salary increase. Maybe a handful, maybe one or two of the banks. So to expect that you know, employees at SAA, which has been bankrupt for the better part of 20 years, still get a salary increase and a 13th check. I just think there's no reality. The reality hasn't dawned yet on how bad uh, the fiscal position of the company is. Like, can you really give increases of 6%? To staff when you are literally living from month to month in terms of your cash flow. And uh, it's, it sounds harsh, but I, I just, you know, you, we've got big profitable companies not giving 6% salary increases. How can, how can SAA possibly give anywhere near close to
0: 6%? So, Konita, before you, before you make your point, um, Warren, let me put you on the spot. Do you think SAA should be saved or can be saved? That's a question.
2: That's a big sigh. It is a big sigh. I mean, you're thinking about the jobs of a couple thousand people before Christmas. You know, Um, of course I want it to be saved, but the stakeholders at SAA uh, don't look to me like everyone can sit around the table and make some serious compromises as to how we can get this airline profitable and um, back up the curve where it's it's first choice for the consumer. You know, so uh, I don't think so. But I'd, I'd love to be proven wrong and, and see the management, the labor force, uh, the suppliers and that the financiers sit around the table and everyone takes a painful pull to get this uh, business sustainable because that's really what it's about. I
3: think the... the, the, the like you said, just getting people in the same room is is, is proving to be impossible. And I think that, um, you know, the the trade unions, at least NUMSA, is sort of barking up this, you know, we're opposing um, privatization. The reality of it is who would want to Takeover, yes. Scholar, uh, no um, SA. SA. So it's, 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 almost, it's almost as if, um, uh, you know, you're running it to the ground. Um, on top of it, there's no one that's going to want to have any. Uh, uh, so when they talk about private equity there's no one who would want to 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 invest their money mm-hmm. uh, in in an uh, ailing company like the, like South African Airways and then the third thing is that there is just no sustainability and no kind of plan to say okay we agree that at least for 6 months this is what we're going to do it's almost okay we're shutting down this route for this period we you know we, we need to return staff but we need to appease labor so there's someone needs to be the bad guy and say mm-hmm. this is it and I think Tito Mbueni, um you know, is 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 relentless in in his position that you just need to shut it down, yeah. and and start again. And 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 again, um, you know, we'd like to be empathetic to 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 the workers that work there, but the reality of it is that uh, how many jobs of so many other. Thousands of workers in the economy generally are being sacrificed because of these billions and billions mm-hmm. of rands that are just being point. pumped into yeah. into yeah. into SAA, um, and so you know it's it's it, it, you know it's always cringe worthy when people say just shut it down and um, you know or privatise it, but now you're at this point you know the, the, these types of debates with what you know what's the best solution could have been, you know, a debate for eight years ago when you still had some sort of, of, of um,
4: you know, latitude. But, but they've had so many opportunities to save SA. I mean, if it's, if it's had problems for 20 years, you know, the government's never got it right. Why are they going to get it right now? I mean, I think the people in power, they don't actually know. I think, that, I think they're out of ideas of how to fix I
1: think that she is also, it. as you say, who's going to buy SA in the States does not? And Pravin Gordhan himself said it to staff, when he addressed them earlier this year when there was talk, when there was the rumors that SAA was gonna be sold. He said, we, you don't walk into a shop, pick up a yeah. t-shirt, it's got holes and say, okay, great, I'm gonna go buy this. If there's holes in the t-shirt, you're not going to buy it, and that's the issue with SAA. But if you allow SAA to be run to the ground like it's being done now, and then yeah. if you have to liquidate, well, then you're saving nothing, you're saving no one, and it's the end. So I don't know, Do you, like Warren says, take the, the hard pill and get it to a point where maybe you can get a, a, a part equity partner that Which is it? the plan in the beginning yes. of the year, yes. but now it seems too late, no? I, I think so. I think maybe it come to the stage, and I think Solidarity might get it right in courts to have them placed under it business risk. Might be the
2: best option. I mean, the one the one party that, that was looking at uh, buying in was Ethiopian Airlines. And I, I just think the Ethiopians are too clever. They've <laughs> got a profitable business, mm. yeah. they've got it all sorted so out. The they, 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 yes. Why do you want to go and buy a, like a loser and a laggard, like SAA? When you know that if it could possibly close down, it's just going to open up more capacity for them to start flying routes like Joburg to London, for instance, or, you know, more routes on its, uh, into its Addis uh, hub. So uh, no one's going to touch this business. I really don't think there's going to be a, um, another company that's going to come in and inject capital. If it's going to be saved, it's got to be done by the stakeholders that are in place at the moment.
3: And that's impossible. The, the, you know, the, you I, you cannot keep throwing money mm-hmm. at the hope that maybe we can mm-hmm. save it. I think every single possible idea of of saving uh, SAA has been explored, and it needs to come to a point where to say. We've tried it all. We have failed, yeah. and it it does not serve no national interest. I still remember in the days of 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 Malusi Gigaba would say, you know, it's a strategic interest. Or what he came to Parliament and his pilots are in, pil- in in solidarity yeah. with SAA mm-hmm. pilots. But the reality of it is that is that it it is you know a, a, a vanity project mm-hmm. uh, to transport not even the elite, but those who are in, you know, sitting in in government offices between Pretoria and Cape Town. Mm -hmm. And beyond that, there is no strategic value to it. And I think the sooner um, people realize it, and I think that um, the only person who seems to be wanting to just make the enemies and get over with it is Mm Tita Mbwini, because even... The president is, is, is skirting around it. We're going to fix it. We're yeah. going to try yeah. this. But somebody has to tell him that I think yeah. the time ta- Well, ta- one, ta- one gets on. the
0: sense that Tito Mbawaini is able to say that because he's really got nothing to lose. It. <laughs> 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 but let's leave it there for now while we wait to figure out what happens with SAA. Do join us again for next week uh, for another edition of Editing Aloud. Till then, goodbye.